So if you want to hear about success in the world of photography from someone who went to university to study photography, but admits that she learned next to nothing about running a business while she was there, then this episode is definitely for you. Natalie Watts talks to us about her photography journey from humble beginnings to making it a commercial success and how she's flying on Instagram too. She shares some of her techniques on how to attract a large following. So if you're not fully embracing Instagram for your photography right now, or if you feel the need to step up to the next level, then you're going to learn a lot from Natalie. And towards the end of this episode, she talks about ways that she can help you with your business too. So make sure you don't miss that. But for now, let's get into it with Natalie Watts. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. How are things in your world right now? Right now, they're quite hectic. I've just bought a house, (laughs) um, despite the global pandemic. And um, yeah, other than that, it's going actually really, really well. Tell me a little bit about this house purchase that you've just made. Where are you moving from and to? Is it local or far? What's going on in your world right now? So I currently live in um, Bedfordshire. If anyone internationally is listening, I live about an hour north of London um, Mm -hmm. and I'm moving not too far just to uh, Buckinghamshire Mm -hmm. uh, about 11 minutes away from where I live now currently so yeah it's not too far away Um, it seems a bit strange to have bought a house during a global pandemic but I'm a massive believer in things happening for a reason and following your heart and house suddenly popped up on the market that I absolutely loved so Mm -hmm. yeah I just grasped that opportunity with both hands. Awesome. So you're moving from Bedfordshire to Buckinghamshire, even though it's 11, do you say 11 minutes or 11 miles? Yeah, it's, probably it's about literally the same. 11 minutes. It's not far. So it's kind of on the border of Buckinghamshire and I'm currently on the border of Bedfordshire. So not okay. far at all. Now, Buckinghamshire, I, I don't know much about Buckinghamshire or Bedfordshire, but Buckinghamshire to me just sounds a bit nicer than Bedfordshire. Am I right or wrong? It or are they both the same? Does. <laughs> Doesn't it? It does sound nicer. I was going to say that. Um, they're, they're quite similar. So where I'm moving to, it's kind of on the outskirts of Milton Keynes. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. Um, City of Roundabouts, both, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I'm um, moving to a sort of a little town just on the outskirts, which is lovely. Um, I'm very much all about going for country walks and nature and things like that. So feel really lucky, actually, that both places are very close to lots of amazing woodland and countryside. OK, well, Natalie, I'd love to know a little bit more about the photography that you do. Can you just give us a little bit of a breakdown, you know, how much you do in the world of sort of family portraits or weddings or corporate? What is it you're, what is it you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I had my 10-year anniversary of being self-employed in hey, photography well done. back in October 2020. Woo-hoo. Thank you. That was a really big milestone. And mm-hmm. anyone that is celebrating any milestone, always celebrate it with champagne. Um, <laughs> that's my Definitely. recommendation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so a really, really quick bit about my background. I got my camera, the first one from, uh, Father Christmas when I was about six or seven. Um, and then fast forward, um, 10 years when I was pregnant with my son, had him when I was 18. And then I would take a lot of photographs of, um, his life basically just documenting him sort of growing up went to college part-time when he was 18 months old and then a full-time college course for a year uh, mm-hmm. before going on to university and I, di- I actually did a degree in photography so okay. I was at university between 2004 and 2007 and then quite luckily actually got a job at ASOS um, it's quite a big company now if you haven't heard of it it is an online fashion retailer. Mm. Uh, back in 2007, it was quite 
a lot smaller. Right. Um, but I was there for two years mm-hmm. um, in the photography studios. Then I went to Fig Leaves for 18 months, which is online lingerie, before mm-hmm. I went self-employed. So um, in a massive nutshell, that's the background. Um, so yeah, I've been self-employed now for just over 10 and a half years. And I primarily now photograph weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, so wedding photography with a little bit of portraiture um, and some corporate thrown in as well. Um, and I also do uh, photography education. So I do mentoring and have a couple of courses um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm mainly doing. And I'm really kind of crossing my fingers for um, a good summer of wedding photography this year. I think you and the rest of the whole photography community right? are definitely crossing <laughs> yeah. everything for that. <laughs> okay, yes, definitely. Now, I'd love to jump back to 2004 to 2007. You mentioned that you did a degree in photography. How did that help you on your photography journey as a career as opposed to doing it for the love of the art? Yeah, sure. So I did the photography degree at the time because I wasn't really sure what else I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I enjoyed doing photography. I never really thought that I could make a career of it, either in a full time position or, you know, let alone self-employed. But in hindsight, looking back now, it was actually a really important time because it gave me time to put together a portfolio and really hone my style as a photographer. Um, So when I was at university, I actually went to a lot of burlesque evenings, pin-up evenings, and had quite a lot of friends in that industry. So I photographed for magazines and so on right from the early days. So I would say for my second year at university was photographing for clients, for paid shoots, um, and also editorially for those magazines. Wow, while you're Um, still at university, is this? While I was still at university, yes. Wow, okay. So in the second year, um, part of the course you had to do work experience, and mm-hmm. I actually got, well, we were supposed to find one placement and I actually found three. <laughs> so my placements were at Bizarre Magazine. That was fantastic because I got to work on the picture desk and I also got to attend a couple of photo shoots. So that was really interesting to see uh, from a few different angles um, what the photography industry um, and the magazine editorial industry was like. Mm. Um, I also managed to get myself placements at Photoshot, okay. uh, which was um, a stock uh, photography um, agency mm-hmm. and also at Marie Claire, which again, I'm not sure if Marie Claire is still going, but that was more like a fashion, um, like a fashion magazine. So I got to go to a couple of celebrity shoots actually while I was doing the, in, uh, the internship there. And I think having the time doing the degree, mm-hmm. it, it gave me the time to kind of build up the style that I want to photo that I wanted to photograph in, mm-hmm. uh, but also help to build up those connections um, and also build up my portfolio. I would say the degree itself wasn't necessarily um, an integral part of what my career would become, mm-hmm. um, other than the portfolio that I managed to build on the side of my degree helped me get the job at ASOS. Right. Okay. So in short, I would say the time out from having to sort of earn a living as a photographer yeah the time out really helped me um identify the direction that I wanted to take my career okay so 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 we understand then the parts where you weren't at university when you were at university were helpful yes in what ways were the parts where you were inside the actual university helpful (laughs) so it's quite interesting because when I did a photography degree I mean we're going back gosh I don't even know how many years, a lot of years now. Um, 
And I think if I were to do or anyone were to do a degree in photography, now you can be more specialised with it. And Mm -hmm. I think it would be more hands on. Mm. When I did my degree, it was very conceptual um, and it was more about taking an image Mm -hmm. and deconstructing it and writing about it. So it was very evaluative, whereas I have always been more practical. So I think in the whole three years, I actually only had half an hour in the studio um, in the final term of that third year. Okay. What I did take away from um, the degree was my love of the darkroom. Mm -hmm. Um, I managed to research some amazing photographers who really influenced my style going forwards. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I had a great tutor there and she taught me the importance of uh, composition and edges so if there's anything that I would take say that was the biggest takeaway from my three years doing a photography degree at university um, it's um, look at your edges in photographs oh tell me more about this edges I haven't had anyone on this show talk about edges so far Natalie tell me more about that yeah so so I will also say that before um, I did the the photography degree I also studied fine art and I kind of carried elements of that throughout my photography degree um, and indeed into my work when I um, went self-employed in terms of edges there's a lot of the time there can be elements at the edge of photographs that really throw us off that really kind of divert the attention from what the subject is Um, and it can actually become a more powerful image if you crop that out either in camera or in post or indeed you know maybe edit out certain elements that would be on the edge of Mm -hmm. an image okay give me an example of one of these things then so i'll give an example of say a couple shoot Mm -hmm. um you know i might be photographing a couple on a beach in iceland for instance all right and and there might be a group of tourists off to one side Mm -hmm. so i would want to make sure that they weren't in the image Mm -hmm. um so obviously when you're um shooting with a fixed length um sorry fixed focal length if you have a big cliff behind you you can't move back any further (laughs) it's not Um, advisable no (laughs) no definitely not in iceland um but you know you want to pay attention to what is at the edge of your images you want to make sure that those tourists are out of the frame Mm -hmm. or if you do need to get them in the frame for whatever reason um, it's not possible to to hold off funnily enough 200 um, tourists on a beach in Iceland if anyone is creeping into the edge of the frames you either want to crop it off um, in post Mm -hmm. or maybe just edit it out it just gives an image a much cleaner sleeker more high-end premium feel Mm -hmm. when you take care of your edges of each image are there any situations where it's good to leave tourists or something like that in the shot maybe if they add to the shots almost pj style you know where maybe somebody's yeah, walking more past kind of street and... style yeah, yeah yeah i actually did a couple shoot in berlin um mm-hmm. and i don't know if you've been to berlin but there are a lot of cyclists okay. and i actually got one really amazing image um i got down quite low for the shots and as i was capturing the couple they were against um i believe it was an art poster but as i was capturing that a cyclist um road right in front of the camera and I actually managed to get a really really interesting viewpoint from oh, cool. that right um so that that's kind of that's an example of of when I suppose an intruder uh, kind of enhances the image so I suppose mm. it's not necessarily on the edge of the image uh, but they were kind of part of that image as a whole afterwards yeah. one more question then about your degree I'm just intrigued by this um because <laughs> 
obviously photography degrees they focus a lot on the art of photography do you think that photography degrees have more of a responsibility to show people the commercial side to how to run a photography business i would say yes and that is something that I didn't get from my photography degree. So if anyone mm-hmm. is out there looking to get a qualification, do mm-hmm. make sure that you really look into what is included in the content of that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I left my degree, honestly, not even really knowing how to use my camera and certainly not knowing how to price myself for commercial work, how to set up my finances, uh, what I should be including in paperwork, model release forms, Um, insurance I I didn't learn any of that so I think it is really important to make sure that you do a qualification that can really help you down the line and it really gives you those practical elements rather than looking at a picture of a tree and writing about the loneliness that the image um, Mm. evokes in you I think it's much more important to focus on the practical elements of running a photography business okay so you mentioned about getting your first camera What, what camera was that do you remember now So I got my first digital camera when I was in my third year at university. Mm -hmm. That was a Canon. Oh, gosh, what was it? I think it was a Canon 350. 350D. Yeah, no, I remember that. 350D, I think. Um, The digital screen on the back was about... Two the size of a stamp. By one inch. Yeah, it that's tiny. it. I had the three hundred D, so I remember that one very well. Oh, did you? Wow. Yeah, I think yours is better than mine. From... <laughs> <laughs> um, that's when the the student loan comes in handy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that would have been from I got that from Jessup's, and I actually got a refurbished one um, because you know being a single mum, being a student, I didn't really have the funds to buy the equipment that I wanted to buy so I, I did have to um, buy that first body as refurbished I think I got a kit lens as well I think for um, a while I was using the kit lens but I suppose when you are when you get a new camera when you're kind of starting and, and building a portfolio and honing your style mm-hmm. it, it's like you, you know you don't know the equipment that you need until you realize you need it mm, yeah so it was over the years that I would replace the bodies I replace the lenses I would invest in um some a flash gun I would invest in extra memory cards and things like that so over the years I definitely um when I identified any equipment that I thought would progress me to the next level that's when mm-hmm. I would make that investment how did you balance the difference between knowing that you need the, needed the next piece of equipment and actually just sort of, you know, lusting after that other lens that you don't have? Yeah, I think there's there's always that danger, isn't there, as a photographer, when a new lens or a new body comes out. You Every time. This, you know, you're like, oh, gosh, I need this. Um, <laughs> back in the beginning, I would look at buying new equipment or I would think, oh, I need that new lens to be successful. Hmm. When I get that new lens, I can charge more. When I get that new lens, I'm going to feel like I deserve being paid for what I'm doing. It was all about the gear rather than the images that I was creating. Um, And actually, it's, you know, maybe it's only been a couple of years since I've kind of made that differentiation Mm -hmm. uh, to where I am now, that it's more about what I can do and how I use the equipment Mm. than how the equipment works for me. So you're still shooting with the 350D then, are you? Yeah. <laughs> and that kit lens all the way, yeah. Uh, what do you shoot with now, just out of interest? So I have two Canon 5D Mark IVs. I have no plans to change it. I love um, I love using Canon. Um, I have a backup Canon 
5D Mark III, which I take to weddings. So I've always got three cameras at weddings. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite lens is my 2470 Mark II lens. I mm. absolutely love it, um, along with my 51.2 and my 85.2. Okay. Great set of lenses there. I used to have the 51.2 until it got smashed with a hockey ball. I, oh, I, do, no. I, I do school marketing photography. Oh, and goodness. although I didn't feel too bad because the girl who smashed it, she was a sixth former. She ended up going on and playing for England. Um, at the time, I was a real prime lens kind of snob, I guess. Yeah. So when it went off to Canon to be repaired, or at least they tried to repair it, but they couldn't in the end, they sent me a 2470 Mark II as a loner. And I received it and I thought to myself, oh, I'm not going to use this. I'm not going not <laughs> to use it. And I put it on my 5D Mark III that I had at the time. And I took the first picture and I thought, this is beautiful. I just, I've just got to keep this. I really have. So I immediately I went out and bought one and just I, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a great lens. Yeah, it's a very sexy lens. I absolutely love mine. Um, I started off with the, the first version. Um, so I actually have both. Um, I can't bring myself to part with that version one because, um, you know, when when I'm at a wedding, if anything happened to yeah. my 2470 that's on my main body, mm-hmm. then I have a backup lens. So, yeah, I do hang on to it. It's a great lens. I absolutely love it. It's so yeah. versatile. Yeah, no, it is. It's bulletproof. OK, tell me a little bit more about the weddings that you photograph and roughly what sort of breakdown you do between weddings and the, the portraits and, and the, the commercial work that you do. So my last full year shooting weddings was obviously 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, that year I photographed 35 weddings. Okay. Uh, I believe in total I photographed about 65 to 70 shoot projects in total. Okay. So we've got the 35 weddings and then I also would have any engagement shoots, portrait shoots and commercial and corporate work as well. So okay. I really like that balance. Um, I have managed to hone it down as I've put my prices up. So I've put my prices up and shooting less, mm-hmm. which is which is the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in previous years, I would shoot maybe around 30 to 35 weddings, but in total would be doing 100 shoot projects over a year. Mm. So you can kind of see how I've shifted the balance a little bit. All my prices is, have gone up mm-hmm. and I've shot less. So tell me about how you felt putting your pricing up and how you responded to any um, concerns or criticism at all from any of your clients. I think whenever you're putting your pricing up, you definitely need to look across the board at what else is going on in your business. So the first thing, it needs to be your mindset, because if you don't believe that you're worth it, then you're going to always feel a little bit funny talking about pricing with any clients, particularly if they're previous clients and you're letting them know that you've put your pricing up. Mm -hmm. Um, I've now got myself to a position where I know that I can deliver, over deliver for my clients and they're going to get great images that they're going to love, whether it's a wedding or whether it's a corporate shoot. Mm. So I now do feel comfortable in putting my pricing up and I am actually about to put my wedding pricing up um, again Mm -hmm. um, because for 2022, I've already got 20 weddings booked in. Um, So my average for a full day wedding is 2,200. That's going to be going up to 2,500. And then everything, that's literally just for me shooting and then everything else is... Um, an add-on if they want to buy any prints or second shooters, engagement shoot albums, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so I am in that position myself, but it all starts with your mindset. You have to believe that you are worth charging that hmm. and feel comfortable in doing that. And the best thing that I have 
um, identified that, I, that I've come to know over the years is to always assume the sale. So even if you've put your pricing up, mm-hmm. really have the conviction and when you're delivering a quote or whether you're sending somebody your rates card, believe that you are worth it because you are. You know, Mm. you do have to look across the board, as I said, at what your branding is doing, at the work that you're putting out there. It does need to reflect the price point that you are at. Um, If it doesn't, then maybe go out and do um, you might want to do some portfolio building. You might want to look at having a rebrand that normally comes hand in hand for me when I have a price increase. That's when I do a rebrand and also look at the work that I'm putting out there, both on my website and also my social media. Um, Mm. It also is reflective in the way that you communicate with your clients. So I make sure that everything is kind of tied up across, you know, it's your whole brand. Basically, you have to up level your whole brand when your pricing goes up. Okay, all right. So Natalie, you seem really switched on when it comes to uh, running your business and how you do your marketing and your pricing. This is the kind of thing that you're really thinking about, clearly. Tell me more about how you generate new clients and how you also develop your existing clients, basically how you grow your business. Yeah, sure. So I like to do an exercise called the Booking Origins Exercise. Oh, that sounds intriguing. Yeah, whatever (laughs) industry you're in, um, whether you're doing corporate work or family work or weddings or fashion, it's always interesting to look back at that previous year and and identify where each client found you and then look at the price point. So I did this a few years ago. Um, and I now do this every year, although we're, we're not going to count 2020. Um, <laughs> but it's really interesting because you might be putting a lot of money into marketing one area and then finding that actually you're not getting the return or mm. the clients that are finding you from that origin are maybe bargain hunters or, you know, they're not particularly the style of client that you would like to have going forward. So for me, I get most of my work through Instagram Okay. I also get a lot of my work through referrals. So that's referrals through other photographers or venues or other wedding vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, I also get a lot of work through Google and SEO. So there's kind of three main areas that I get most of my work. Okay. I also get a lot through word of mouth, previous wedding guests, uh, previous clients who've passed my name on um, and also blog features. Okay. So, yeah, there's a few different avenues into my business. The main way that clients find me is through Instagram. That's a really important part of my business. Okay, tell me a little bit more about Instagram because you've got quite a good following on Instagram, I think, haven't you? Yeah, so it does take time um, and and consistency. That's the first thing that I will say. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had people saying, oh, you're really lucky you've got a big following, but I have worked for it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you feel offended when someone says you're lucky to have that? Not really, because they don't know, um, unless they know me, you know, they don't know what's gone into um, getting to that level. Mm. So I think it's just about being open and honest. Um, Mm. I'm very passionate about what I'm putting out there on Instagram. I'm also very authentic, whether it's communicating with clients or with fellow peers in the industry or, you know, um, I I just think it's really important to be very open and honest. So Mm -hmm. if, if people call me lucky it's because they don't really know what has gone into it um I'm a definite and firm believer that you make your own luck Mm -hmm. um you know it's about opportunity meeting action is Mm. um when when, um that success can happen no I like that that's nice yeah opportunity in action yeah definitely so with Instagram like I said it's just about being consistent it's not about a week of you know all day every day it is just 
you know, minutes every day. Mm. Um, so I tend to check Instagram probably as much as I would check my emails. Oh, um, wow. So okay. A, a handful of times a day, maybe four times a day or so, mm-hmm. just maybe 10, 15 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's that small, consistent action that is going to get you to where you want to be rather than huge strides. Definitely. Mm. Okay, so what would you say to a photographer who maybe doesn't photograph weddings? Maybe they photograph things that other people they might feel would see them as being quite boring. I don't know, maybe headshots in a corporate office. Maybe that's what they major in. Uh, Maybe product photography, something like that. How could they use Instagram to be as sexy as some beautiful weddings? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to your brand as a whole... Mm -hmm. It's not just the images that you're putting out there. It's the text that goes along with it. It's the images that you choose to put out there. So I could go down quite a traditional route with with my brand because I do take a lot of photographs where the couple are standing looking at the camera. But what I choose to show are more emotive, meaningful moments. You know, a couple walking along um, in the countryside at sunset or a really lovely Um, group shot a nice editorial style group shot it's how you choose to curate and what you're putting out there and also what you're writing along with it so particularly on Instagram it's as important what you're writing Mm -hmm. as the image so the image should be a scroll stopper because you literally have a matter of split seconds for somebody to stop you know it's actually quite a privilege if somebody stops and likes your image let alone if they comment on it because there's so much content out there. You know, we can get this fatigue because there's so much content out there. So what I have found is that it's it's prettier images. Um, it's images of, you know, an epic landscape or a pretty wedding dress and things like that that are going to stop people. Mm-hmm. But then it's the text that's going to draw them in. So it's what you write alongside that image. But it's also important to be consistently using your stories because that shows that you have a visible presence And that's when you're going to create those multiple touch points. If anyone's looking to book a photographer, Mm -hmm. they're more likely to book someone that they have more touch points with. So the touch points are your feed, the text, but also your stories. And the Mm. easiest way to get that content out there is through stories. How about video and Instagram? Should more photographers be embracing video, shooting video of, of themselves? I mean, talking to their audience on Instagram. So that is where you can up-level everything. Um, There was a visible change in my business and my income when I started to not be the face of my brand. I don't really think that's the right way to say it. But when I started to be more visible, um, when I showed my face on my feed, and also when I started to do uh, video talking to the camera on my Insta stories. Um, You can also do Instagram Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's also reels as well. You will never see me dancing on a reel, but I have <laughs> done a few reels just to test it out. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really for me, but it is really interesting to see that other people are getting amazing results. So that's mm. that's fantastic. Um, I do think it's important to show that you are a person behind the images. So what I think is a really good thing to bear in mind is every... 12 images or so you should be putting your face on your feed okay because every 12 images is pretty much what somebody's phone will show and you don't want somebody to scroll too far without seeing who you are Mm. um a good example of that is i had somebody contact me earlier today for a wedding um and they said you know 
whatever your rate is, we want to book you uh, because we really like who you are and we feel like we know you and we feel really comfortable with you. We think that we'd get on really well with you on the wedding day. And that is because I consistently use my stories. Um, And then another tip is that you could put those stories into a highlight. So if you perhaps have I don't know, a year where there's a global pandemic and you're not wearing makeup much of the time. If you you put those videos and images on your highlights, you've got that content there ready to see it uh, for any new visitors to your profile to see straight away. Hmm. So you can already start building on that relationship without putting out any new content. How do you feel about doing live videos compared to pre-recorded ones? So I I have done lives quite a lot. That's quite a good way to um, kickstart engagement. Okay. Because not a lot of people use that feature. So anyone that's on the app when you go live, um, it will notify. uh, Sorry, if they go to their home feed, Mm -hmm. um, your face will likely be at the top. Okay. Because Instagram really pushes anybody that's live up to the top. So Okay. So Instagram prefers live instead of a pre-recorded then. It prioritizes that. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So if you're on your home feed, at the top you can see where everybody's stories are. Yeah. And you know, if you put up a pre-recorded um something or whatever you're putting on your stories, you might be like number 20 or number 50 or number 300 in that list. Scrolling across to the right left whichever way you (laughs) you swipe um but if you go live because not many people do that and because not many people do that all the time your icon will be shown at the top of people's home feeds so it's a really great way to get more eyes on your profile so let's say that i'm a photographer and i'm using instagram a little bit and i'm posting the odd picture from a wedding and i'm using some hashtags and stuff like that and i want to do live videos and i'm absolutely terrified about it how should I start it? How should I do my first one? So the best thing to do is to ask on your stories, like say, I'm going to do a live, what would you like me to talk about? Okay. Because when you've got content that you know people are interested in learning more about, mm-hmm. then you're going to be more confident already. Um, if you are really, really nervous, you can actually do a joint live. So maybe partner up with um, somebody that is going to bring value to your audience and you will bring value to their audience as well so for Mm -hmm. instance with me being a wedding photographer I might partner up with a wedding uh, sorry a wedding planner or a wedding venue or a videographer Um, and then you can do a joint live so one of you will go live and then the other one can request to be in that and if you are really, really nervous, make sure that you're the second person because okay. then you'll be at the bottom and everyone's comments will be over your face. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you don't need to be as nervous doing it. But yeah, that's quite a good way to ease yourself into doing a live mm. is mm. to do a joint live. And lives shouldn't be, you know, it should be used to bring value, to educate and to, to provide some kind of interesting content to people. You shouldn't really just use it to... I don't know, say if you're at a music concert, rather, mm-hmm. you know, and going live there, that's not necessarily going to be interesting for your audience. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you're doing something interesting. So I recently put a series of lives together with, um, I think it was four of my 2020 brides. Okay. And I actually interviewed them about what it was like to plan a wedding during COVID and also get married and have the wedding during COVID as well. Okay, nice. And I've actually got a lot of bookings through that because... You know, I I was on there with them for maybe 45 minutes or so. You can save that to your profile and to your IGTV. Now that content is there. 
Hmm. for future bookings and yeah. also your current clients to see that content and do you recommend 45 minutes being a, a good sort of length of time for a video like that um i think you can do as long as you want to do really that's quite a lengthy um that's quite a lengthy period of time <laughs> because somebody's obviously got to take quite a lot of time out of their day to sit down and watch that i'd probably say to keep it like about 15 20 minutes the reason that those interviews were quite long is there was a lot to talk about hmm. um in terms of planning a wedding during covid and there was a lot that i also wanted to make sure was communicated through that live you know my, my kind of aim for that was to educate couples but also to um show couples that it was okay to get married with low numbers if you want to you know and it, it definitely has um helped my business going forwards Okay, so you mentioned COVID and some of the people listening to this may have struggled with their photography business during COVID. They may have, may have put down their camera. They may have started working <laughs> yeah. in a completely different field just to get some money in. And then today they might be feeling just a little bit apprehensive about picking up the camera again and shooting again. How would you encourage someone like that to get back into shooting again, back into taking photographs for their clients again? Yeah, I think what I'll start off with saying is that you're not alone in it. A lot of us <laughs> haven't used our cameras very much over the last year. Um, I have a wedding next week and I haven't even touched my camera since early December when I had a wedding. So it's wow, been quite okay. a while. Yeah. Uh, but I'd probably say, you know, start gently. And that is be gentle with yourself, but also start photographing gently. You know, you might want to do some kind of personal work just to get used to the camera again. Mm. Um, I know that when I'm in the flow of a wedding season, I can literally change my settings without even looking at what I'm doing. But I suppose it's a little bit like riding a bicycle. You know, you might want to have a little bit of a practice before, especially before you're doing a paid shoot. And I'd also say test your gear before you do a job as well, hmm. because yeah. um, I suddenly had a fear about that this morning. And I was like, God, imagine if I go to get my camera out on the Thursday, the wedding's on the Friday, and the camera doesn't work or the batteries don't work or, you know, whatever happens. So make sure that you're testing your gear at least a few days before that job or that shoot, just in case. I remember hearing one time about a photographer who had a cat and the cat had just decided to to take a pee in her camera bag. Oh my god! <laughs> which you know, and 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 you you laughing. I laughed as well. It's a funny thing, but then you think about the implications of it, and it's actually it's it was horrendous. And she ended up having cat. I mean, this sounds horrible. She had cat urine inside some of her prime lenses, actually oh, inside no. the lenses, and something like that. It just kind of wrecks everything. If you discovered yeah. that sort of the day before a wedding, then yeah, I can imagine that's not going to be a, a good night's sleep, really, is it? No, definitely not. <laughs> so I think I think the key thing here is test it, test it again, and then make sure that the zip is done up tightly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, how do you handle things if you're booked on a day and then somebody else approaches you and says, can you photograph my wedding on May the 12th and you're already booked? How do you handle that? So that is, it's always a shame when someone, you know, identifies you and they choose you to contact um, mm -hmm. and, and ask for your rates and you're already booked. Mm. This is happening a lot to me and other fellow f wedding photographers at the moment because there were so many postponements from 2020 into yeah. 2021 mm. um, and now some are even moving to 2022. But I think it's important to definitely still reply. Um, I always reply and say, I'm really sorry, I'm already booked, uh, but here are some amazing photographers that you might want to contact and then I'll actually put their web links um, in there as well so there's a lot of referral groups for weddings on Facebook and whenever anyone's booked you 
generally will post in there and say is anyone still available on this date and then pass that on to the couple it's not often that you hear back from the couple but you know it's always nice to just be kind and be helpful actually earlier today I had a couple that contacted me in December for a wedding in September 2021 and I said I'm really sorry I'm already booked they came back to me earlier today and said we've actually had to change our wedding date for a few different reasons uh, to April 22 are you still available? And yes, I am. And had I not replied to them in the beginning, or had I not been helpful and passed on other photographers' websites, I mean, I'm assuming they never actually booked anybody. But you know, it's all about just being kind and being helpful, because you don't know if that client is going to come back to you at any point. How about if you're booked in one venue, and then somebody comes along, and they ask if you can photograph their wedding, and it's a spectacular venue that you've always wanted to shoot at, maybe it's an international destination, something like that. How do you handle that? That That's happened to me before. Um, that's actually happened in the reverse because I was booked to shoot a wedding and then I got a commercial job come in for £5,000. And at the time, I was only charging 1200 for weddings. Oh, gosh. So that was, that hurt. But I, I honour my booking. You know, if somebody books me, I think that's a really important thing to make sure that you honour that booking and you still go above and beyond and do your absolute best. I mean, there are still ways to still retain some of that, um, the income from that new inquiry. You could perhaps get a team of associate shooters together. I would never not shoot a wedding for the sake of shooting another wedding, because I just think that's, you know, it's really not fair on that couple who have chosen you out of the tens of thousands of other photographers out there. Um, it's it's not fair to say no because you've had a better offer you know I feel like in instances like that think about how you would feel if somebody did that to you and I think yeah it's I'm a big believer in karma so I I, Mm -hmm. I don't think that would be good to do. I'm really glad you said that actually And, and it's funny as well that you mentioned the karma because I think anyone listening to this will know that if you ditch that uh, social club wedding in favour of the fancy Parisian wedding, for example, then the Parisian wedding would end up cancelling anyway for some whatever reason. And then you're left with nothing at all on that yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what I will also put in here is that this has happened to me before. I was booked on a date um, and another wedding came along and it was just an absolute dream venue for me. And I said to them, I'm going to, you know, I'm not available, but if you do change, if the date changes at all, let me know. And I would absolutely love to be your photographer. And they actually did change the date to have me as their photographer. Oh, gosh, so, they changed know, it so just, they can have you. Honest. That's awesome. Yes, it's a real honour when that happens. Now, Natalie, you mentioned right at the start of this that you also do some training. Tell us a little bit yes. more about what that training is, who your sort of target market is, who you can help the most with your training. So I offer one-to-one mentoring for other photographers and small businesses. Um, I've even had other videographers book me for mentoring as well, uh, more from a business, uh, sorry, photography business side of things. And I also have a couple of educational courses. So one of my courses, which has been so popular, and I'm so thrilled that it's helped so many people, um, it's called How to Ace Group Shots. So it's about learning how to properly educate your couples in advance of a wedding day about setting the expectations um, so that when it comes to the group shots, you can get through them in a really, really smooth, quick and organised way. It helps you become much more professional and really elevate your business because, you know, that's that's how my business has gone to the next level, because I have figured out this way of strategically photographing group shots in such a way that actually people really enjoy it. It doesn't become a bore. People enjoy it. 
um, and that that course has been really really popular um, I also because of my fashion background do a lot of group shots where people are sitting standing and it's a little bit more interesting uh, more editorial style quite Tatler Harper's Bazaar style so the course also teaches them step by step how to do the, the group shots like that I also have a course called Success Accelerator, which is that focuses more on the business side of running a photography business. So you're looking at marketing uh, systems, um, communication with clients and things like that. And then I'm actually putting together a new course for late spring 2021, which is going to be called Wedding Photography 101. So that is focusing more on the practical side of running a wedding photography business. So Success Accelerator is for any photography business and weddings, sorry, Wedding Photography 101, that's really dialing down on capturing emotion, storytelling, composition, photographing in difficult light situations and so on. So yeah, I have those three, uh, sorry, two courses currently and then a very exciting one coming up. And then later on in 2021, because I'm absolutely loving the education side of my business, I'm going to be actually putting together an Instagram course. So Instagram for business. I think based on what you were saying earlier about Instagram, then having a course like that sounds absolutely spot on. I'm intrigued by this one. You mentioned how to ace group shots. Give us, I mean, without giving away too much, of course, but give us one sort of useful tip that that people can take away in terms of how they can take better group shots. Um, The best thing you can do is educate your couples before the day. Um, The course goes through step by step so many different ways that you can do that. Set their expectations so that they know what to expect. And then within that, you can actually help them adjust up their timeline if you need to. You do need to make sure that the day has enough time to capture those group shots in case anything runs over. Um, I would always get names in advance. So names for all the different group shots. Um, And what other tip can I give? Um, Have designated helpers on each side. Those are just some very, very uh, quick fire tips uh, when it comes to capturing group shots in a really, really quick and easy way. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, Something not related to photography at all uh, and something I always ask people that come on this show. Tell me three things that you're into right now. Nothing to do with photography. Oh, this is a good question. Okay, so randomly interior design. Oh, I haven't had that one before. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've just bought the house. Um, I actually bought it as a self-employed single mum solo buyer. Um, It's a four bedroom, 12 room house. So it's big and I love it. Mm -hmm. I've got a big um, loft conversion for my office. And we are going from a rented uh, two bedroom, five room house. So the house is more than double the size Hmm. um so i have been hitting up instagram hitting up pinterest um for interior design ideas Mm -hmm. um and yeah i've i've gone down many a rabbit hole when looking for different (laughs) pieces of furniture but it's actually been really interesting i've actually set up an instagram account for the house just because i'm simply enjoying it you know Mm. i think you can use instagram for business but you can also use it for personal reasons as well Mm. um so yeah that's become a real hobby and i'm really enjoying it because we're kind of getting to a point in lockdown you know this third lockdown when uh, and and i'm used to traveling sort Mm -hmm. of seven eight nine times a year so to not be able to do that um to not have that adventure or that you know that mental and emotional stimulation has been quite tricky Mm. so the house has actually come along at an amazing time and I'm loving the um you know finding gold coffee tables and and (laughs) chandeliers to put up in the living room (laughs) Uh, so yeah 
in in a nutshell interior design interior um, design. i'm Good. also really really into self-care at the moment okay um, i think it's really important to look after yourself before your business this is a lesson that i learned quite late on in business you know before even your loved ones and your family it's really important that you fill your own cup mm-hmm. um, you can't help anyone unless your energy levels are um, at max hmm. um, in terms of self-care yoga mindfulness meditation reading taking a few moments just to breathe hmm. you know go and sit outside for 10 minutes and breathe and look at the sky and I'm also I just got this and it's a game changer for any photographer mm-hmm. um, I got it on Amazon actually and it's a heated eye mask so in heated the, eye mask yeah Ooh, it's a he- okay. heated eye mask and it's so relaxing so i don't know about you simon but i get quite dry eyes because i'm staring when i'm shooting i'm staring at a screen otherwise and mm-hmm. um, so i have quite dry eyes which means i blink quite a lot yeah um, but this heated eye mask is supposed to help relieve dry eyes so yeah i would definitely recommend it it's been really relaxing Okay, all right. Uh, I'm I'm going to ask you for a link to this after this recording finishes. I'm going to put it in the show notes (laughs) as well. Yeah, I'll send it, yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, And then the third thing, um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of related to photography a little bit, but I would say education. So that's education both for myself in terms of mindset. Um, You know, I think there's so many different layers that you can go through um, and also education for others as well. I really, really am enjoying helping other people. So outside of photography, what sort of education do you tend to immerse yourself in? So mindset is is a big thing at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also going to start doing more yoga. So yeah, that is, that's going to be interesting after a year sitting on my sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I was not one of those people that got into running during COVID. I sort of, I, I rebranded, I put a course together. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, now I need to start getting fit. So it's going to be um, yoga, mindset, and yeah, that, that kind of vein of things, I think, is really important to always work on, no matter where you're at in your life or business. Well, and here we are in April, the weather's starting to get better. So we got more, more reasons to get outside and enjoy some fresh air and get a bit of exercise out there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, another tip that I will give as well is mm-hmm. to get yourself a hanging chair. Hanging chair. So we're chair. kind of okay. tying in the interior design and the self-care and the education now. <laughs> um, you literally sit in it and swing. Okay. Um, it's, or, you know, an egg chair, whatever you want to call it. But mm. I got one for the new house and it has been an absolute wonder for for my mindset and my well-being so far. Do we see this on Instagram? Have you got a picture there? Um. I don't think it's on there yet, but I, it will be. It will be on there a lot over the summer months, let me tell you. I'm trying to figure out if I can sit in it and swing and edit at the same time. I'm not sure if that would work, but hopefully oh, I it will. don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we need to bring this to a close in a minute, but where can people go and find you, especially on Instagram? Where's the best place for people to look for you? So my website is nataliejweddings.com and I'm on Instagram at nataliejweddings as well. Natalie J Weddings. Excellent. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for being here. It's been great talking to you. It's been great hearing all about your life, your move. uh, And I hope that goes well. All about Instagram and all about these courses. And thank you for sharing all of this with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Simon.
And that was Natalie Watts, photographer, trainer and pandemic house mover. Natalie, thank you for giving up 45 minutes in the middle of a busy time in your life. To check out Natalie online, don't forget you can follow her on Instagram. She's Natalie J Weddings or her website is nataliejweddings.com. And you can also find details of her training on that website. This isn't a sponsored episode. So if you go there and buy her training, I won't make a penny from it. But I think you can feel the energy in someone like Natalie. So my bet is that it's going to be money well spent. Now, that was this week's episode, but next time we're speaking to another photographer who specialises very much in the luxury market. He's high-end, and he's going to be sharing with you all about how to operate in that field. Because, as you'll find out, that's not necessarily where all photographers start out. It's not where he started out, but he'll be sharing with you how he did it. That's next week, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.